was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so thrilled to announce my very special guest, who is currently starring in one of Broadway's most buzzed-about shows, Tova Feldshu. Tova is, of course, taking on the leading role of Rosie Bryce in Funny Girl opposite Leah Michelle, becoming the first Jewish actress to play that role on Broadway. Her myriad Broadway credits include Golda's Balcony, Irina's Vow, Pippin, Cyrano, Lend Me a Tenor, Rogers and Hart, Dreyfus in Rehearsal, Sarava, and of course, Yentl. She's also a veteran of Off-Broadway, having appeared in Becoming Dr. Ruth, Tallulah's Party, Hello Mutta, Hello Fada, Awake and Sing, Springtime for Henry, She Stoops to Conquer, The Soap Myth, The Vagina Monologues, and more. She has also starred in Hello Dolly, Gypsy, and Peter Pan in stock, as well as Scream Pretty Peggy, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, A Walk on the Moon, and Kissing Jessica Stein on the small and big screens. So now, without further ado, here's Tova Feldshu. Well, I'd love to um, to start by asking you, how did this current revival of Funny Girl that you're in happen for you? Or Happened for me? I was... Uh... I must have been, I was working, I was doing a one-person show on Becoming Dr. Ruth, where I had the honor of playing Ruth Westheimer, Dr. Ruth Westheimer, the internationally known sex therapist, uh, and it was a piece written by Mark St. Germain, and that closed in January. I did a couple of concerts, and I got a call around April from my beloved friend, Daryl Roth, who's one of the many producers of Funny Girl, and she simply said... <clears throat> would you be interested in playing Rosie Bryce in Funny Girl? And I said, I wouldn't be uninterested. Let me see the script and let me go to the show. And so I saw the show with Beanie and Jane. And then I learned that they were also trying to close negotiations with Leah Michelle and that I would be paired with Leah Michelle. And my joke line is, if I'm paired with Leah Michelle, I want her dressing room, her salary, and her billing. Uh, actually, I have her billing. There are four of us that have been graced myself, uh, the fabulous Ramin Karmaloo, Jared Grimes, and of course, Leah Michelle are um, above the title. So that was wonderful, wonderful for all four of us. Uh, so it was an offer. I considered it. I had a talk with the, my beloved director, Michael Mayer, about the production, and I decided to give it a shot. And uh, it's been just fantastic originally we were supposed to go in much later than we went in originally we were supposed to go in september 29th but that changed when uh beanie and the production changed their plans and they put us in in september september the 6th and in the meantime in july august i had to complete two feature films and i was starting a television series but everything all worked out i am happily thrilled to be doing funny girl eight times a week and should be doing it eight times a week except for a select, very important uh, 
holidays from my uh, religious background. And also I'm shooting a series, but we're trying to block what's called block shooting all the scenes on Monday, which is my day off. So Jared Grimes and I both have television series while we're doing Funny Girl, <laughs> wild. And I'm very grateful to the Funny Girl management for uh, allowing us to, to keep those jobs while we appear on Broadway. Oh yeah, that's wonderful. And what has it been like to co-star with Leah Michelle and to work with her? Just heaven, just oh. complete heaven. She's a dream. She's uh, brilliantly talented. She's kind. She's 36. Um, so I'm grateful she's in her 30s so that I can be her mother. Otherwise, maybe, well, how do I know? They might have cast somebody who's 50. And I wish I were, but I'm no longer 50. And um, she, she has a lot to brag about, and she brags about nothing. Nothing. Oh. Nothing. She never walks the dog. She never shows off. She... Uh, except, you know, during I'm the greatest star on stage, but that's there, she's playing Fanny Bryce. That's not Leah Michelle. that's Leah Michelle's take on this wonderful character created by Barbara Streisand 60 years ago. And we finally have a Fanny that can measure up and Leah Michelle measures up and then some. We're all very, very lucky to be working with her. Oh, that's wonderful. What was your own research process for the role? of Mrs. Bryce, of course, being the first Jewish actress to do it on Broadway? Well, most of my research had to do with my life. I mean, this, this role was, you can't say it was written for me uh, because it wasn't. It was written for a lot of Irish Catholic actresses before <laughs> me. But there were elements of Rosie Bryce that are in Lillian Felchew, my mother, and my grandma Ada had a poker ring in the Bronx with Seal Somak. I think she was busted one night and arrested for the night. Um, so my um, grandparents were all immigrants into the United States from England, Austria, Russia, and Germany. And um, the fabric of the life that is depicted in Funny Girl, that is the flashback, you know, to the 1910 and the turn of the century is part of my own family legacy. My Parents were born in 1910 and 1911, and they were all the children of foreigners, very well-to-do foreigners on the Felchu side, and you know, a, a seamstress and a a master tailor on my mother's side, on the Kaplan side. And um, my research, of course, I researched Rose Rosie Branagh, Rosia Branagh, who is the the real name of of Fanya Branagh, Fanny Bryce. And her mother owned four saloons in Manhattan and was entrepreneurial and had a ne'er-do-well husband who played pinochle and got drunk. And uh, she kept up the saloon, which kept him, which is what she says in the show. And as a result of who Rosie Bryce chose as a husband, so Fanny Bryce made a similar mistake on a much bigger scale. Oh. And this is, of course, not your first time having great success with a real life role. And I would love to ask about uh, Tallulah Bankhead, another one that you played. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you about Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> I'm about to play her uh, very soon in October for a one night stand in New York. And if you're oh. lucky to find me, you'll see me. I will be at Rose Hall. So hold on to your hats on October 26th between matinee and evening performances. I'll be performing at Rose Hall as Tallulah Bankhead. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait. can't wait for you to see it. 
you should enjoy it. So I, I love Rose Hall. It's one of the best concert halls in New York. And whenever I'm invited to sing there, I try to do it. And this is this was a very easy one because I won't have to go on. I'll go on stage between six and six thirty, and turn around and go back to the, the, to, the um, to the August Wilson, which is only on Fifty Second. And after all, I'm barely going to. I think I'm going to like Fifty Ninth. I'm seven blocks away, and then rest before the night show. I'll just perform between six and six thirty, and then rest until half hour. There you go. And to um, to go back in time a little bit, how did you first become interested in theater? I was on the wait list at Harvard Law School. And uh, at the same time, I won a scholarship to the Tyrone Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis called the McKnight Fellowship in Acting, where I was made a journeyman uh, and was given small speaking roles and was trained under the tutelage of the great Michael Langham, who would then head the Juilliard. And I my parts were so small, Charles, I did... I think 21 parts in 11 plays in <laughs> seasons. I did, you know, I, in Cyrano, which we did as a straight play, first with Paul Heck, then as a musical with Chris Plummer, which would then come to the Palace Theater where I made my uh, Broadway debut. But in Cyrano, I would come on as an actress, exit, come on as a boy poet, exit, come on as a nun. It was a riot. I had three parts uh, every night in, in the run of that show. And I really carried Spears at the Guthrie for two years. Oh. I, I never got to get a bigger big role on stage uh, maybe a supporting role in um in i guess dion boussicault's um the italian straw hat as well as uh a decent role in a midsummer night's dream i was peace blossom over hill over dale thorough bush thorough briar etc and um i left the guthrie because i could sing and dance in the musical of cyrano which would go from the Guthrie to the Royal Alex in Toronto, to the Colonial Theater in Boston, open in May of 1973 at the Palace Theater, Chris Plummer starring. And we would close a very few weeks later, but not before Chris won the Tony for Best Actor in a Musical that year. And once you were in New York, how did you find your niche in terms of what types of roles you would be going up for and all of that? I wanted to play all roles. I, I I didn't find a niche. I don't look for a niche. I'd rather not have a niche. <laughs> Having changed my name from Terry Sudatova, uh, certain parts were handed to me without any struggle, and they were great parts. Uh, you know, like Yentl, Elena Slomovan, Holocaust, Golda Meir, the Polish Christian rescuer Irena Gut, um, Naomi Bunch in uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Daniel Melnick in Law and Order. Uh, Deanna Monroe, who's not Jewish, uh, the head of Alexandria. So I, I had many opportunities to play many, many strong women. Many of them come from my heritage. But at this stage of my career, if you offer me a great role and they happen to be Jewish, I have no problem riding the horse in the direction it's galloping. Absolutely none. So um, I, I don't feel boxed in. I have a great variety in my repertoire and I feel I have developed over 50 years in the professional theater a great repertoire of abilities through hard diligent constant work oh, um, yes. I, I worked extremely diligent uh, diligently on Rosie Bryce you know Rosie Bryce isn't all on the page you have to excavate her and make her ping and really explore the mother-daughter relationship and with uh, the, your body language the warmth of your heart, 
what you're projecting, what you're pouring onto the other actor, listening to the other actor as if your life depends on it. And for Rosie, that's both with Jared Grimes and my two, who plays Eddie Ryan, and my two fabulous sidekicks, Mrs. Meeker, played by uh, uh, Deborah Cardona, and of course, uh, Mrs. Strakosh, played by Tony DeBuono. So these are very blessed, blessed things. And of course, of course, Lee and Michelle. But I even develop a relationship with Mar uh, with Ramin as Nikki Arnstein, Carolou, in the show. And I don't have money lines to do that. But you can bet your life that I concentrate and focus on digging, digging the, digging the exploration or the tunnel deep so that we can hit the universal. And uh, thanks to Deborah Cardona, Tony DeBuono, Jared Grimes, Car you know, Ramin Caramelou, and of course, me Leah Michelle, and the ever brilliant um, Julie Banco on Thursday nights. She is something else too. She is really, nobody's being cheated on Thursday nights. And it's the best thing in the world that Leah gets to rest on Thursday so we can preserve that voice. To do eight shows a week with that, with that score and those demands and 22 costume changes, oh my Lord. Oh my lord so the this show is run very smartly and even though we had 12 out with at one point with covid the show never uh the show went on there were enough understudies and standbys prepared that they could just knock it out of the park and we just kept going and i would love to ask you as well about a great actor that you worked with earlier on in your career which was sam levine yeah and what that was like with him it was great. It was Dreyfus in rehearsal. Another actor was Alan Arbus, and we had a fight scene. And I was very, very young. It was before Yentl. I was 23. And something happened in the fight scene, and Alan Arbus, I remember, was, was mean to me. And I started to cry. And Sam Levine took me out for lunch, and he said, listen, darling, only cry at funerals. Don't cry at little things like this. You'll have plenty of years to cry about the important things. Don't cry. He was marvelous. They could predict laugh lines, setups and laugh lines. The other person who started it, of course, was Ruth, was Ruth Gordon. And Ruth Gordon would be the matron of honor at my wedding to Andrew Harris Levy on March 20th, 1977. And Garson Kanan was the witness on the marriage contract. And another great star that you worked with early on was on screen, being Betty Davis and screen Pretty Peggy. And yes, wow, that was my first job for Universal. I died before the credits and credits, and they offered me a contract. Uh -huh. and said, Are you offering me a contract because you think I I I have it? I, I have talent. After all, I had just come from carrying spears for two years. Not I had not been given a break, and they said, Oh no, we're hiring you because of the beauty of your skin. Your skin, to me, your skin looks like Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> that was a riot and I turned down the contract. They wouldn't pay for my singing, dancing and dancing lessons. I said, you played for Mickey and you paid for Judy, meaning Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Why wouldn't you pay for me? I remember the salary was $500 a week and that was 1973, right after Cyrano closed. And I, I looked at the acting at that time in, in California at that time, uh, four television series stars. And I said, if I do this, I'm never going to learn how to act. I'm never going to learn how to act really, really well. And I went back to the classics. I went back on stage. I got Yentl uh, when I was very young and I was on the marquee of the O'Neill Theater 
about 18 months after I arrived in New York. I was very lucky. So from Yentl, I went to Stratford. I went to Jack O'Brien at the National Shakespeare Festival in San Diego. And by the time I was 29 or 30, I felt that I had developed my chops and that nobody could ever take that ability away from me. And um, that desire to be excellent and not just well-known, but to have a bar of excellence and an ability to transform the self in order to capture the souls of other human beings and tell a story vividly has never betrayed me. That's a value that I really uh, um, cherish and am very pleased that in my life's journey, I pursued that value. I was offered Three's Company. Uh, it was a foolish career decision, but it was a very smart artistic decision to turn it down. It was Joyce DeWitt's uh, role. You know, we never think about the actors who don't make it in series, the people who are not Henry Winkler, the people who are not Leah Michelle, and they're just sitting there doing series the way I uh, had minor roles at the Guthrie or supporting roles that didn't ping and you couldn't make an impression. However, within the last 20 years with cable, television has completely changed its face. And the biggest stars in America are now made through television series, even more so than movies. It's extraordinary. It's, okay. it's a different field of play now. And my ambition now is absolutely to star in a series. But I'm 49 years down the pike. I know what I'm doing. You know, my my abilities aren't going to evaporate just because a camera is rolling and maybe a part is uh, unable to be rehearsed or explored as deeply as other moments in my theatrical life. I would love to do a series. When I finish my contract and Funny Girl, if anybody wants to make me a lead in this series, the answer is yes. Oh, yes. And be it on stage or on screen, what do you think makes a great director to collaborate with? A loose hand. A loose hand. A great director does not wrap his hands around the throat of his performers. He gives them choice. He gives them space to contribute at their greatest level. He lets them do their work. And he tells them when it doesn't ping, P-I-N-G, ping for him. You know, he tells them when he doesn't believe it. He tells them when it doesn't work. But basically, he lets them explore their pathway because the director is the expert on the play. But we as individual actors are the experts on our individual characters in that play. That's my job to be the most brilliant spoke in the Rosie Bryce wheel, my job. And Michael Mayer's job is to be the most brilliant hub of the production head, you know, the like the head of the pyramid. And above him, mind you, are the producers. And that brings me back to Leah. We all know that not only is Leah brilliant, but that Fanny Bryce is the most extraordinary role written for a female in the American musical comedy stage. And the American musical, history better than mama rose which shares the palette of that play with um gypsy rose lee this is a this is a, a streisand who got cast in the 60s they fell in love with her and they kept writing for her it's an extraordinary role and leah i can say never never is too fancy too precious never separates herself from anyone in the cast or crew she's incre incredibly solicitous of everyone Hello, good morning, available, hugs. She's she's really an angel. And she's my angel. She's my baby angel. <laughs> I get to be her mommy. And I'm a lucky, lucky girl. Yes. 
you mentioned, of course, Mama Rose, and you took on that role yourself in regional yeah. theater a while ago. And what was your own process like with that? Oh, no. That was a, a huge exploration and a very difficult role, a role I was worried I wouldn't be able to sustain eight times a week um, vocally. But we did very well. And I went down to her needs, her, her broken dreams, and her need to push her daughter, her two daughters forward to fulfill her dreams of show business and how that journey ended up because her grip on her children was too tight. It didn't leave space for them to be who they were. And so they escaped. So they escaped. And you have played many of these great roles around the country in addition to in New York. And has there been one that's been especially hard to sort of find as an actress? Well, I played the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it's not that she was hard to find. I had plenty of footage. I read her book, and I I also was with the justice four times before she died. Wow. But I would say that her apparent meekness, she's a, she's ferocious as a lion about the law and a, and a brain that is beyond brilliant. Her apparent meekness I had to capture. I had to capture the slightly downcast eyes onto a book. I had to capture her humility uh, and her, the fact that she appears meek. And then she's incredibly, an incredible strong thread in the justice system. And the tragedy is, is that she died and uh, the Republicans pushed through a very conservative judge. And now they're telling women what to do with their bodies. And that, that's one of the American tragedies. And hopefully we will reverse that. Oh yeah. I agree, of course. And is there, along those same lines, is there another role you'd like to play or another person that you'd like to portray? I'd like to do, a, I, I'd like to do RBG as a, as a one-person show and um, a personal, something personal about RBG. Um, I'd love to speak to Nina Totenberg, who was her great ally about that. And I'd like to do in repertoire in a prestigious, let's say, off-Broadway theater, Golda Meir, Ruth Westheimer, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so that a a um, a tourist coming to New York could see between a Tuesday and a Wednesday night could see a prime minister, an international sex therapist, and a Supreme Court justice. So that would be my artistic ambition. Maybe we can film those all, all three of those, you know, separately. Um, the other thing I'd love to do is a black box Saint Joan as a memory piece that Joan did live and she's older and she's looking back at her, her messed up life and what happened to her as she fought for France, so. That's very interesting, yeah. And um, two great writers that you worked with earlier was uh, Comden and Green in Straws in the Wind. And what was that like to be collaborating? Fabulous, fabulous. I wrote songs for you, as did Stephen Schwartz. I remember Stephen, don't you know I'm a child of the 70s? So I have to find that somewhere in my archives. And then they, Comden Green wrote for me a song about children going to school, uh, about the dilemma of private schools in New York City and what it was like, you know, and it was very, very funny. No, it was great. Luckily, Phyllis Newman had such fabulous allies. Adolf, of course, Green was her husband and then Betty, and then they're friendly with Lenny Bernstein, as they were, Bernstein, as they would call him. and. And again, Stephen Schwartz was there and some great, great writers. And we did this review. I did it with Josh Mustel. It was a wonderful experience. 
And you also um, appeared on stage in Rogers and Hart and other um, I did. library composers. And <laughs> what do you think makes their music so great? Oh, the irony of it and the sadness. Rogers and Hart was directed um, by Bert Sheveloff and conducted by Buster Davis. And, um, and Mr. Rogers was alive. I have a book he inscribed to me. He was quite a pip. He was great. Um, it, the lyrics were incredibly clever. I think Larry Hart's lyrics and Yip Harburg's lyrics are some of the cleverest I've ever seen. And of course there's Sondheim, but really clever and insightful. And it came from Larry Hart's pain, the pain in his life, the loss of love being too short not feeling like a winner. Yeah. And when, how much do you, when you're in a show, like to read the reviews or, or pay attention to the reviews? I usually don't, but my part <clears throat> as Rosie Bryce is so, um, is so obviously supporting that friends have sent me uh, notices whenever I'm mentioned. <laughs> I mean, obviously most of the notices here uh, deal with finally a Fanny Bryce that uh, people are uh, enjoying and many people enjoy enjoyed Beanie you know many 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 people enjoyed Beanie and she's also supposed to be one fabulous human being as is Jane Lynch Jane Lynch I know she's a terrific gal and a great talent but um, according to the critics here um, their fanny has now come to roost and at the August Wilson theater eight times a week and it's it's a pretty big thrill to be part of this theatrical event, it isn't just a, sh a performance, it's a theatrical event. So yes, I've, I've read some of the reviews and I'm very encouraged by them. And one of your uh, most recent Broadway credits before Funny Girl was Lend Me a Tenor. And I'd love to ask about working with Jerry Zachs on that. And He's great, I worked with Jerry on that. I worked with Jerry on a <clears throat> one week workshop of the Royal Family that the Weislers wanted to produce. And unfortunately, the Kaufman estate said no. I don't know why. Bill Finn wrote a brilliant score. Um, I work with Jerry on other readings. Um, I love him. I've known him since he was in Greece. And he married my friend, Jill Rose. I know his children. I've directed his daughter. So I love working with Jerry Zaks. And I'm very happy for him with his enormous success with Music Man. Enormous. And what will make you accept or turn down a role? I have to, <clears throat> I'm lucky because I'm in the third of my four act life. I plan to live to 104, but I'm in the third act. And I say to myself, do I want to wake up in the morning and do this? And I had to consider that heavily for Funny Girl because, you know, it is the mother, but it's clearly a supporting role. And is it on the page uh, where you can really uh, shine? And the answer is, I, some of it was and some of it I had to make so. And I worked very closely with Michael, with my conductor, Michael Rafter, with my wonderful director, Michael Mayer, with his assistant, Joanna McKeon, to make it shine. With the choreographers, they put in a tap dance for me. I was very pleased. So uh, it has to interest me and it has to mean something to me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then there are times when you complete a role I was involved in a wonderful project called The Soap Myth, which I did with Etta Asner. And it came time for me to let it go when it was not playing venues where I could be available. And I let it go. And I don't know if it came into New York, I'd be interested again. But what filled the space was two features, a TV series and Funny Girl. So 
Sometimes it's important to let things go, to turn things down and create the empty closet into which will come properties that are important to you. And to take us up again to the present day, I'd love to ask, what was the experience of the pandemic and the quarantine like for you with working on your book, I know? Well, it, it was the only place we could go. The theaters closed down. Oh, you couldn't even teach, uh, which I had done during the 9-11 crisis. I taught in my living room, the actor's approach to a song. And I, this brilliant literary direct uh, agent, Albert Lee, who's with UTA, heard an interview I did on Entertainment Weekly. And he called my manager and said, does Tova Felch have a literary agent? She said, no. And he said, I think she's got a writer's voice. And he came to this house and represented me and encouraged me to write this memoir. And that's what I did during COVID. I, every day for hours and hours a day, uh, my assistant would type like the wind, the ever brilliant Oliver Scholson, who had just graduated from Yale. And then I called one of my best friends and a great director himself, Jeff Harner, who's a huge award winner in cabaret. And I had him and Oliver in the writing room where I would write and I would, I would really I write by speaking. So I would sound out these sentences and they would either uh, critique them or off we'd go. Uh, so I wrote the book myself. There was no ghost writer, but there was no question that I had their ears in the writing room so I could bounce my work off of two people I trusted mightily who could help hone my memoir. And the very last question I'd love to ask is, with such a wonderful career in the theater, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? Well, I'd say never give up. I just want to backtrack for a second. And Lilyville is written as a play. Lilyville, Mother, Daughter, and other roles I've played is written in three acts. And instead of chapters, I give you scenes. Instead of a forward, I give you a, an overture. Instead of an afterward, I give you exit music. Instead of acknowledgments, I give you a cast party. So uh, that insight to do it like that, put the, put the book over the top to be number one in parent-child relationships for Amazon. And also between each scene, between each chapter, is an in-one when the actor comes down to the most shallow curtain in front of the stage and he's with the audience and he performs. And in those, quote, in-ones, which is a vaudeville conceit, I talk all about my career. In between each chapter, I talk about the very various episodes. So what is my advice? to actors or yeah. to peep artists, anybody in our business. Right. Never give up and reach for the stars because if you reach for the stars, you may land on the roof. You reach for the roof, you never get off the ground. Oh, that's a wonderful piece of advice. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been an honor. You're so welcome. And I hope you come to all the things that all of us do. Thank you for being such a champion of, uh, of the theater and I guess, film, television, and literature, you know? I'm an author, so thank you for that, too. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I am joined by Broadway legend Faith Prince. Faith Prince is a four-time Tony nominee for her performances in A Catered Affair, Bells Are Ringing, Guys and Dolls, and Jerome Robbins Broadway, and her other Broadway credits include Disaster, Annie, The Little Mermaid, Noises Off, The King and I, James Joyce's The Dead, What's Wrong with This Picture, and Nick and Nora. 
Her off-Broadway credits include A Man of No Importance, Bad Habits, Falsetto Land, and Little Shop of Horrors, and she also starred on screen in Dave, Drop Dead Diva, Emily in Paris, Monarch, and Spin City. You won't want to miss this interview, so make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.